This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jerry Brewer, a sports columnist at The Post. Joining me today is Elaine Welteroth to talk about her new dinner salon series, The Conversations Project. Elaine, welcome to Washington Post Live. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's going to be fantastic. Let's get started. First of all, it's not often that you see a sports writer in a sports coat. I tried to dress up a little bit today for uh, a distinguished uh, former fashion editor, but uh, let's just explain a little bit about why why we're here, why sports writers here. Uh, This the Conversations Project was co-produced by ESPN's Anscape, uh, which is an online publication dedicated to Black identity from sports to culture. So tell me about how you got involved with this project. And I believe you came in a little bit later. So why did you want to be a part of it? Well, first of all, you clean up nicely. Okay, you look (laughs) nice. I like the structured shoulders. Thanks for thanks for dressing up for me. I'm going to turn, speaking of, I'm like big on, we have to have a little color in the background. So let me turn this around this way. Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and for shining a light on this new series. Um, the Conversations Project is really a show that I think the world needs more of. And I am big on really lending my voice and my energy and my time to things that I think the world needs more of. And, and this is certainly one of those projects. It's, it's, you know, an opportunity for people to come around the table in a safe space um, and break bread while breaking down some of, you know, the really meaty topics that are facing our community right now and and to debate and to you know hear different perspectives um again in a safe environment i think this is this isn't the safest time in our country for differing opinions um and you know the internet doesn't offer a lot of room for nuance and this is a platform that embraces nuance and different uh, different opinions um and we have people from every different you know part of our country and our world coming together from different industries um different ages and so it's really an intergenerational intercultural kind of interfaith communion of some of the greatest minds of our time within our community. Many of us who've never met each other before, but have admired each other from afar. We have an astronaut. We've got, you know, sports figures. We've got rappers. We've got politicians. We've got, you know, executive leaders. We've got actors, comedians, you know, journalists, just all coming together. Dr. Jamila Lee Scott. And it's kind of funny that that this is the next question. She said uh, during her time, it is our responsibility to speak boldly where our ancestors had to whisper. As Mm. you reflect on the series, what does that statement mean to you? Wow, it resonates uh, a lot. I think especially in this moment, as I said, it's not necessarily a climate that is conducive to speaking your truth if your truth is not popular, um, especially in your political party or whatever affiliation you tend you b- belong to. I think, you know, 
we're living in times of great polarization and and in those you know times of great division i think you tend people as a you know communities collectives tend to just kind of shy away from some of the harder conversations because they don't want to get dragged into the mud uh, you know and and there is so much there's so much mud there's so much there's so many conversations that um have divided our families um our churches our community and i think it's an incredible thing that we are creating a platform that is like we are intentional about going there we're not shying away from these topics that are controversial or scary but we're doing so in a safe haven like we're creating an environment like where everyone knows they'll be listened to they'll be you know their their opinion will be honored it might be challenged but it's going to be challenged in a respectful way and i think in that in that way the show is so important in a time like this because it's modeling how to both articulate your truth um in a and also challenge somebody's perspective if you have a different perspective how to challenge it in um a a respectful and productive way um and i i really am proud of that because i do think that that there are you know we're living in times where it's easy to feel silenced it's easy to feel shamed for having maybe a, an opinion that isn't popular and you know we're living in cancel culture so there there's a lot of fear around saying the wrong thing or being associated with the wrong you know topic and and what that can do to your career and we just said listen like we're we know that that's the context that 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 this show exists in out in the world and the internet but that's not that's not what this environment is like here and and i think everybody really i was excited to see that everyone really let their guards down i think the wine helped it was really there was really great wine i got to tell you i came into this show not at all a wine drinker um i'm a new mom i get really tired when i sip wine but i i'm i got to give it up to the chef he introduced me some to some great black owned wines that had us really feeling warmed up and and it really opened everyone up to kind of just be themselves and um it was it, we it resulted in a, some really beautiful and enlightening conversations let's talk more about chef david lawrence I and mean, being the the curator of the meals and uh perfectly choosing these these wines from black wineries but then also his identity being british and and jamaican yes. Uh, it just added a different kind of vibe and, and flavor, um, not to have a, not to make a pun, but a different flavor to everything. And so what was the value of him, his meals, and just the conversations and the different perspectives he had uh, being someone who uh, wasn't born in America? There was tremendous value in everyone's perspective, but specifically with a chef who, by the way, became a big, big brother to me. So did Mark. We kind of left their little family. They call me their little sister. Um, and I think it is important to have those intergenerational conversations. And and David, is, you know, Mark, Mark, you know, tries to tease David because he's, you know, tends to be one of the older people at the table at, in, in maybe all of the episodes. I'm not sure, but um, but. I feel like there's real a real significant value in having an elder at the table, um, an elder black man with an international perspective. Um, you know, I watched him really listen and learn 
And I saw him grow over the course of these episodes. I saw him change some of his opinions that he had held originally. I saw him open up. Um, this is also his first time, you know, doing television. So there was a lot of newness for him. Um, and it, it, I think it was really important for everyone at the table and for all of the viewers at home as well to see that we are not a monolith. We come from all different parts of this world. And, you know, we are connected across the diaspora through through certain aspects of our experience, but we are not all the same. And, and, and culturally, we're not all the same. And, you know, um, I think you see that play out in, the, in some of these conversations. And, you know, I thought it was really beautiful to see, you know, Chef, who's this very kind of, I always called him, um, I say he looks like, like Idris's, Idris Elba, but like, you know, from a, you know, from a distance, if you squint and like, I'm like, are you, like maybe he's <laughs> brother or whatever, but he's very debonair. He's very sophisticated. Um, and we got this guy to do TikToks with some of the younger tick, like a TikTok star <laughs> that came on, you know, we got him talking about opening up about his relationship with his father and his mother and and his relationship with his son which is a little complicated he's his son is biracial and um he talked about what, what it was like navigating that um he, he we saw him talk with um brett who is amazing one of our younger kind of gen z um i don't want to say kids make myself sound like an old auntie but we had we had uh, some zen gen z representatives in the building and and they came with I mean, no fear. They just talked from their perspective and they were willing to challenge folks like Mark and David at the table who they said, you know, historically they haven't had the best, you know, they've had kind of a tenuous relationship with people, with, with, with black men of that generation. And he said specifically, you know, I think, you know, you guys have had it so hard as black men coming up in your respective industries, wherever that was, whether it's London or San Francisco or New York or wherever, Louisiana, you have a chip on your shoulder and you are operating with a sense of identity politics that is oppressive to, you know, young people who just want to be free and who want to sparkle, essentially. I mean, he was wearing this like sparkly blazer and he said, and he said to them, you know, you basically, you guys don't let me sparkle and my sparkle makes you uncomfortable. And they were able to kind of wrestle with this kind of long-standing there's like it was like there was an elephant in the room between these two generations of black men that they were actually able to address productively and then by the end there was this real beautiful breakthrough that and I really hope that those types those moments inspire similar conversations and similar breakthroughs with people at home with with you know their fathers or their nephews or their sons like you know, mothers to daughters, like I really hope this is an opportunity for people to um, be inspired to come together and to to bridge some of these divides. Let's talk about parenting. And that was a, a really strong theme that continues to resonate with me. I have uh, two fairly young boys. You're a new mom. Uh, there's a lot there was a lot of conversation around parenting and masculinity. And a lot of the men opened up about the kind of fathers they want to be. Um, from your perspective, uh, as a mom, what was it like to to hear those conversations and to learn how some men essentially are trying to be better or at least different than their fathers? It was really beautiful. 
as a as a woman to be able to listen in on black men having a very vulnerable dialogue about fatherhood and about the you know trying to figure out how to be a father when they didn't have that perfect father model um, in their own lives. And they admitted to mistakes that they've made. And they, some folks opened up about, you know, what they would have done differently. And then you have these younger men at the table who aren't yet fathers that are able to absorb that wisdom. And I, I imagine they will apply it and, and be, you know, better fathers and just different fathers as a result. And, um, I thought that was really beautiful. I think usually in the parenting conversation, moms domi dominate that conversation. And in th that, that wasn't the case at, the, at this table. We really heard from black men um, about kind of the struggles of, of being vulnerable enough to show, uh, you know, to have empathy and compassion and um, gentleness in terms of their parenting. And um, for those who weren't able to access that, you know, in those pivotal years, there was an acknowledgement of that. And I really hope that it it led to some, you know, again, to some breakthrough conversations with people in their own lives. And I hope the same for the viewers who are watching. I, I really think it's going to trigger some important conversations that need to be had that frankly don't happen enough in most families, but particularly um, in Black families. Elaine, you talked about uh, maternal mortality crisis among Black women. Um, just from your experience, um, how deep is the crisis and what are some of the solutions to helping to, to solve this problem? Thanks for asking me about that. I mean, the, the, the problem is very real and I think the you know, it's a very complex issue that has, you know, there's multiple layers to to this issue. I think the way to solve it, first of all, is to bring awareness to it. I think it's something that a lot of people are not aware of, even within our community, and especially those outside of our community. I think most people are shocked to learn that in the richest country in the world, even today in 2023, that we have a maternal mortality crisis that is soaring. I mean, the, the, the rates of deaths, of maternal mortality deaths are soaring, and they're soaring especially within our community. Black women uh, in America are three to four times more likely to die during or after childbirth in the richest country in the world with all of the technology um, at our at our disposal we're not able to save the lives of black moms and and it's it's a very it's a very sort of traumatizing statistic mm -hmm. to learn about um, as a black woman. And I learned about it when I, I, I really, I feel like I heard these stats, but I felt like they were sort of out there and, and I didn't really want to focus on them until I, they were inescapable when I became pregnant. And I recognized that it was important for me to really understand what the solutions look like and how we can become advocates for those solutions. And so, you know, the issue is is complex and so is the solution. So are the solutions. They're multi-pronged. They're, you know, we we have to 
get more awareness out about this issue. We have to work to change legislation, um, which is already in the in, in the works. Um, I've been doing a lot of work around the, um, advocacy for the Momnibus Act, which is a set of bills that are going to help uh, prevent more deaths of black women in this country when they're giving birth. And I encourage anybody um, who's listening to this, who is curious about this, to really learn learn more and to write letters to your um, lawmakers because we have to get this passed. It's it's literally, you know, we all have a mom. That's the thing. This is a this is an issue that for too long has been living in the shadows when it should be front and center and and a priority for all of us because we none of us would be here without our mother. And so what are we going to do to protect the black mothers and, and all mothers in this country when they're giving the, the greatest sacrifice, which is bringing life into this world? So um, we have to change the, the, the laws to protect us. We have to work with hospitals and insurance companies to change some of these policies. Um, I won't get into the details here, but there's so much work to do on that end. And then, you know, most importantly, I would say, um, is raising awareness about doulas and midwives and how incorporating doulas and midwives can save lives. I mean, 70% of these deaths um, are preventable with midwives and doulas integrated into prenatal care and 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 um, postpartum care and, and who are involved. For me, I did a home birth and I, I had a doula and a midwife there with me to help me deliver my baby. Um, and so I think raising awareness about your choices, you know, um, so there's more I could say more, but I will I will stop here. As you can tell, it's a very passionate topic for me um, and one that I, I, I feel like we all have a responsibility to raise awareness about and to keep fighting for. So, um, yeah, thank you for for bringing it up. We didn't get into it for the conversations project, but hopefully season two, we will, if we get a season two, I'm, I'm gonna bring it to the table. Oh, there absolutely needs to be a season two. Uh, you went really deep on your biracial identity and I really enjoyed the interaction with Ali Love, the fitness instructor uh, and the, the white dad club. And I guess I hadn't thought about it in that way, that that, that, that could be a thing that, that there aren't maybe many in society where your dad is white, your mom is black. Um, just uh, what's having a white dad um, and, and kind of uh, how, how he has navigated that in your relationship to your dad, how has that kind of informed your biracial identity? And why were you, uh, why was that something that was on your heart to just go so deep and to be so vulnerable uh, about all aspects of being biracial? Well, I don't really think of biraciality as an identity. I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm very clear that I'm a black woman and in this country, um, you know, race, race is a construct, right? But we can't, we, we have to acknowledge, um, what that means and, and, you know, I move through the world as a black woman. I am seen and treated as a black woman. And Ali is very clear on that as well. Um, mm -hmm. But it, in terms of, you know, this is a perfect example of how on this show we make room for really nuanced conversation about um, all the different kind of complexities within blackness. 
Um, and I think that sometimes blackness can get boiled down to sort of just really basic black or white, you know, and, and black can look only like this. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a list of things that make you black. There's the certain music that you listen to. There's, you know, certain, you know, whatever sports that you play. Um, and you're sort of confined to this box. But the reality is that blackness is so multifaceted and the spectrum is so wide um, in more ways than one beyond skin color and hair texture. Um, so to, to get into some of that nuance um, and to be able to kind of talk about and unpack what it means to be biracial and then even more nuance to talk about what it means to be biracial with a black, as a woman, with a black mother and a black father versus having a white mother and a black father. So it's, 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 to me, I've always felt it, there's a, there's a distinct difference. I haven't always felt that there was room to talk about this publicly for fear of, you know, being misinterpreted, misunderstood. And there, it, there are so many sensitivities when you talk about, by you know, being biracial, there's sort of this, you know, this kind of old outdated, I hope, concept that like, if you even acknowledge that you're biracial, you're somehow denying your blackness, which is not at all where any of us were coming from on the show. And it felt good to have that be recognized, while also recognizing that, you know, we understand that we come to these conversations with a level of white privilege, even in our blackness, and light skin privilege. And at the same time, we we understand that we are black first and foremost and we're we're so clear on that especially as black women who were raised by black mothers we had this model of what it means to move through the world as a black woman literally modeled for us every single day and and i i think that you have sort of a different path to identifying what it means to what, what type of black woman you want to be and how to walk through the world and how to navigate certain things when your model of womanhood your you know the 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 direct you know the most impactful uh influence is not the same race as you so you know there, this is not about one being better or worse or superior or inferior it's just talking about kind of the nuanced differences and and also therefore the kind of connect the, the connection point um that you have when you find that someone has that same difference you know when i found i was like oh ali your dad's white and your mom's black i knew i knew we had i knew i felt like we were here you know and, and we were able to connect on that level um and but I even talked to Ali and you know after the after and she sort of said I said Ali how come you never talk about the fact that you're you know mixed race and she's like because I'm black and that's what I lead with and it just doesn't seem relevant and I but we also kind of unpacked that it also doesn't seem like it's necessarily something that's a welcomed conversation in our culture right so I loved that she was willing to kind of open up and go into that vulnerable space and know that she would be safe and um, sort of met with understanding from the whole table. No, that's that's fantastic. And I think that's what made me watch it twice, the range of the Black experience. And the, the, the great thing was I watched it the first time and the second time we watched it with my wife, I learned something new. Like there were things that I missed uh pearl nugget love to hear just like some of the things that stood out to you that you either oh like, i mean I think, 
I think of Karen, you know, I think uh, Roxanne Shante was just a powerhouse. She was hilarious, but uh, her perspective on protecting uh, why black mothers protected a certain generation of black sons was something that I hadn't thought about. Uh, I same episode, Roy Wood Jr. was just fantastic and just uh, talking about uh, talking about just uh, being um, masculine and what and what that means and and um, kind of having like an old school black father. Uh, but uh, what I wanted, I wanted a little more of the conflict uh, when it was like, you know, old school, new school, just to kind of see how all of that was resolved. But it was, I mean, it was just like, it was, it was fantastic. And, and having um, uh, just transgender conversations and all of that. I mean, it's just things that, uh, for whatever reason, sometimes we make that taboo in the Black community and just talking about it and just having it out in the open and having as host, the three of you just so willing to quarterback the thing and making it a safe space for everyone to feel welcome. It was a, a really spectacular show. Oh, that means so much to hear. Thank you so much for, for saying that. I hope we can do more of these gatherings in real life to have people come see it and talk about it after because it's really, it's meant to be a conversation starter, you know, and um, I, I want to be a fly in the wall on all these conversations that are you know, spurring out of out of watching the show. I do. I'm glad you brought up the the transgender um, topic because I think I think that was one of the most powerful conversations at the table was when we had Lena Bloom and she looked at the whole room and she said, "How many transgender people have any of you ever invited to your home?" And it was there. There was silence across the room. And I think everyone really contemplated that question and why we aren't as welcoming or maybe why we don't have as much access to um, the trans folks in our community. And, and, and we, she was such an incredible voice to lead that conversation. And I watched everyone sort of just, just, just take a step back and, and, and just listen without feeling the need to challenge. And I think that that's a rare thing in this moment. I do hear you on, you know, you wanted some more, like you wanted some more conflict, you wanted more debate. And I, and I hear you, um, that we had some of that, but I felt like this was a moment where I was so grateful that there was just nothing but unity. There was nothing but love and an eagerness to understand each other better. That feels like like something we need more of in this world. There's enough arguing on the internet. There's an, there are enough trolls out there. Um, but I do hear you. I think that, you know, apart from the transgender conversation and the moment where she really got everyone to think about, like, how can we reach out and be better allies to transgender folks in our community? The, the moment with Brett, where he ch really challenged the older men, black men at the table about how they tend to talk to and about younger black men and how they need to be more cognizant of its, Im of, 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 of its impact on them and how it kind of threatens to keep them small. And um, I really, I, as a woman, I sat back and I thought, ooh, this is, 
this is heating up. This is really heating up. And I, I, I gave a lot of credit to Mark and David for, for not um, getting too defensive to where they couldn't take it in. They couldn't absorb the wisdom that was really coming from the youngest person in the room. And I think a lot of times in our culture, you know this, you know, uh, you know, a certain generation of black parenting, th that style of parenting is like, you know, you're you're meant to be seen, but not heard. Right. You share, mm -hmm. you know, you, you speak when spoken to. Um, but this generation of young people are they're different, <laughs> you know. So I even noticed as a millennial, I have a I have a level of deference to my elders that that even folks who are, you know, five to eight years younger than me, they don't really have the same deference. But, you know, I also feel more bound by respectability politics, you know, that than they do. I feel I feel I felt like I could learn how to be a little bit more um, vocal and a little freer to speak my mind after I was listening to this debate between these two generations. So we did get some of it. And I do think also like when um, uh we had some uh, we had someone and i'm i'm forgetting who it was but they were we were talking about black lives matter and sort of it going from this movement to becoming a you know nonprofit that kind of now you know is is embroiled in a lot of conflict um Lane, we're, and, we're out of oh, time now unfortunately this is the, the it just it starts conversations that you just can't <laughs> stop now no, i know i know uh, this was fantastic. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Elaine Welteroth, thank you so much for joining Washington Post Live. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the series. And I'm so glad that you loved it. And I hope that we get a season two so we can give you more conflict and more debates. <laughs> uh, I'll keep that in mind for next time. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean Foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. 